Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. I want you to take your Bible and turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture today. Um, And that would be Jeremiah chapter 29. And verse number 11, and that's going to be our springboard scripture today. Jeremiah 29 and verse number 11. I will read it out of the New King James Version. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. Earlier this week, at the beginning of the week, I really wasn't real sure what the Lord wanted me to share with you, but as the week unfolded, I began to realize that God was speaking to me about talking to you today about adjusting to the change that we are in in the world today. See, there's two constants, two things that never change. Two things that never change. The first one is the fact that there will be change never changes. The fact that there will be change never changes. And the second thing is God never changes. God never changes. So in the beginning stages of of what I want to share with you today, I just want to kind of opine for just a few moments on this subject of change and the necessity to adjust. See, we don't have the luxury to decline change. We can't just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to decline that. How, how many of you, how many of you uh, uh, have ever looked at a picture of yourself about 20 years ago? I want to challenge you. If there's any question at all about what I'm going to talk to you about here today, when you go home, go get one of them pictures from 20 or 30 or 40 years ago and put it up in the mirror and look at yourself and notice the change. You didn't have the luxury to decline that. Because time goes on. Time marches on. But over the last couple of years, we have experienced the acceleration of change in our lives. We've experienced it in our church. We've experienced it in our community. Some of our loved ones have died. I shared with them in the first service about Donna, my wife Donna, how that when she was a teenager... Uh, all of all of every summer, all of her uncles would get together and and their families, and they would all meet in Tywas, Michigan. And there were seven uncles, and they would meet up there in Tywas, Michigan, and have a wonderful time uh, for a week or two as the family gathered together. But with the passing of her father last year, and the last uncle, uh, I believe it was earlier this year, all of those seven uncles have gone on to be with the Lord. And what I'm trying to say here is her life has changed. Her life has changed. Some of our loved ones have passed away around here. You know, we haven't had too many pass away around here. Sister Connor went home to be with the Lord. Sister Connor, um, you know, was the founder of uh, her and her her husband was the founder of our church. And uh, Kathy's uh, daddy went home to be with the Lord. And we did his funeral just a few months back. And uh, so we've had some adjustment that we've had to do. But me, but in my life personally, every mentor that I had 
except for one, has went home to be with the Lord in the last two years. My strongest mentor, my pastor, the one that I was so close to, could call him for anything. In February, changed his address to heaven. When he passed and I got the word, Mark Mitchell was the first one that, that saw me. I came out of my office and tried to go down the hallway. Next thing I remember, I was just on the floor saying, God, what am I going to do without my pastor? What am I going to do without someone to call? And I heard God speak and he said, you're going to lean on me and you're going to pour in to your sons and your daughters. And I said, yes, Lord, that's what I'll do. I didn't want Pastor Callahan to go home to be with Jesus. But if he could come back right now, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. My father-in-law, Don, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't come back. You know, Kathy's daddy wouldn't come back. They wouldn't come back. They've seen Jesus. You know, as I told them in the first service, you know, we work and work and work and work to try to get you to heaven. And then when you go to heaven, we're like, God, what happened? Well, we tried to get you to heaven and you went. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's why the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important. It must be preached. It must be taught. We must be faithful in the proclamation of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we live in a changing world. So some of our loved ones have died. Some of our church members moved north. Some of them moved north and died. And I had to go north and bury them up there. But some of them have moved north to be back with other family. Some have quit coming to church altogether. And through the process of COVID, we've had several younger families that have actually joined our church. And so when the older ones are coming back, they're meeting brand new people. And they're, they're saying, well, where did they come? And so, well, they've been here for the last two years while you've been out. They've been here. Now, work has changed. Work has changed. I mean, a lot of people are working from home now and when you go to work, you know, things have changed and shopping has changed. How many like Amazon? How many like Walmart? I'd rather have Amazon than Walmart. But some of y'all like Walmart, so go ahead and go to Walmart. And if you can't find it at Walmart, Amazon's got it. But shopping has changed, right? Shopping has changed. Travel has changed. You got to put a mask on whether you're vaccinated or not. Uh, when, you, when you go into the airport, you got to leave it on until you walk out of the airport on the other end. And they don't care if you're about to suffocate. Just got to keep that mask on. And so it's changed. Travel has changed. It seems like everything has changed. So we live in a changing world, don't we? We live in a changing world. So I, I was just thinking about all of these things. And so I began to ask God, I said, what do you want me to tell your people? And so he told he gave me a few things that I want to share with you today. So this is going to be kind of expository. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses nine, verse 19, I call it 19A and 19B. We see that God promises help during seasons of change. So when we look in Isaiah 43, 19A, it says... Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? That's the change. 
That's the change. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Now part B, that was the change. Part B is where God promises help. He said, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What is he saying? He's saying in the midst of your change, if I've got to make a road in the wilderness and I've got to put a river in the desert, I will do it because I'm not going to leave you alone. So that's the thing that we must understand. First of all, that God promises to help us during these times of change. Times of change are difficult. Times of change are hard. You go through transition after transition after transition during times of change. I've got 12 different people that are sons and daughters of the faith in my life that I send a text to every Sunday morning. I sent, I, I included Pastor Michael into it this morning just because I wanted him to see what I was sending to them. But I've got 12 that I send them to, send texts to. And I was talking to them this morning on Sunday morning. I was talking to them this morning about how that we have to develop leaders around us that can help the people in our lives adapt to the change that we're all going through. Because, if the, it, because when you run out of leaders, you're done. You're done. So you got to keep developing leaders. You got to keep working with leaders. Well, I want to tell you, I, I want to encourage you here today. The God that we're talking about and the God that I'm telling you about is infinite. He is infinite in past. He's infinite in present. He's infinite in the future. The reason that God does not change is because He's just too big to change. That's why He doesn't change. So there's nothing that you're going to be faced with that God hasn't already been faced with. And so He's going to help you even if He's got to make a road in the wilderness and a river in the desert. So as I was thinking about this, uh, my mind went to Luke chapter 18 and verse number 17, where the Bible says in the New King James Version, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You know, the greatest change agents in the world are children. Well, what do you mean by that? They're always changing which means they're always adapting. They grow. You can't tell them quit growing. You could tell them that. But they're not going to quit growing. They're not. I walked in the other day and Sophia and Gracie Kay was there and I gave them both some money for ice cream. Here, Papa's giving you some money for ice cream. Sophia handed me the money back. She said... I don't want ice cream. I want to play Operation. You know the game Operation. I looked at Donna and I said, we need to mark this moment because there's going to come a day when we're going to offer her money and she's going to look at us and say, is that all and can I have the keys, please? Children change. They grow up. Their body goes through changes. Their height changes. Their weight changes. 
that the way that they see the world changes, everything changes. One thing that's beautiful about a child is their whole entire childhood, they spend it changing and adapting to whatever is thrown at them. And Jesus said to us, if we're going to experience the kingdom of God, then we must become like a child. You know what a child does? A child trusts their mom and dad. A child trusts their mama and papa. A child trusts those that are around them. Do you think that they worry about where the food's going to come from? No, they don't. If you've ever had a teenage son, you know. They'll eat half the house every day, and when the refrigerator is halfway empty, they'll come to you and say, you need to go buy some groceries. <laughs> right? Well, they don't even think about that. They don't even think about where does that food come from. They don't think about who has to pay the price for that. They don't think about who has to work for it because they are totally and completely dependent upon their mother and their father. Well, I want to tell you something. Unless we become like a child, we cannot experience God's kingdom in our life. And so we need to be totally and dependent upon God in seasons of change, in seasons of trouble, in seasons of trial, in seasons of misunderstanding. We need to say, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Familiar scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and the Bible said He will direct your path. So the, one of the inevitable truths is that God promises to keep us in seasons of change. Another is that we can trust as a child, we can trust God as a child in seasons of change. The third thing that I want to share with you before we go to the non-variables here is that change does not surprise God. Look at your neighbor and say, change does not surprise God. Now look at your neighbor and tell him, say, he knew you were going to get better looking as you got older. I did not take after my father when it comes to my hair. My dad is slick as a whistle. When I approached that subject with him one day, he looked at me, he said, Son, God made some perfect heads, the rest he put hair on. Change does not surprise God. That's why the Bible said in Jeremiah 29 and 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And then in the New Living Translation, I like the way it says this in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and those who are the called according to His purposes. So if God's Word says it, that settles it. Amen. Now, there's some non-variables. There are some things that does not change. Number one, the Bible said that God doesn't change. Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord, I change not. That's the Word of God. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He does not change. The same God that blessed your grandparents is the same God that wants to bless you today. 
The same God that blessed your uncles and your aunts is the same God that wants to bless your children today. God does not change. The world changes. People change. Situations change. Circumstances change. But God does not change. The next thing that I want to talk to you about that doesn't change is the purpose of God for your life. The Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Isaiah 46 and 10 says this, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. So people that are all concerned that God's losing is losing the handle on what's going on in our nation or God's losing the handle on what's going on in our economy or God's losing the handle on what's going on in my life. No, God's purpose will stand and He will do what He pleases. The plan of God for your life has not changed. You say, well, I just got too old and I forgot when I was younger or I failed when I was younger to embrace that call and so it's over for me now. Are you still sucking air? Are you still this side of the dirt? Any day this side of the dirt's a good day. Right? So are you this side of the dirt? Well, then there must be a reason why you're here. You are here because the purpose and the plan of God for your life is not completely fulfilled. Whether you're 9 or 90, the purpose and the plan of God for your life is not completely fulfilled. And the purposes of God do not change. If He called you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ when you were a child, He wants you to share the gospel today. If He called you to intercede when you was a child, He wants you to intercede today. If He called you to embrace the fire of the Holy Ghost and spend your life chasing revival, God hasn't changed His mind about you today. The purpose of God for your life has not changed. Do you change? Yes, you change, but you can still adjust. God knew you were going to change. He knew you were going to change, and He still called you. He still called you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're called. You're called. The Word of God doesn't change. Matthew 5, 17 through 18 do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is fulfilled. Now, the third thing that I want to talk to you about today is adjusting to the change that we're in. You know, whether it's wanted change, whether it's unwanted change, there are things that I wish I didn't have to adjust to. Are you in that same situation? Are there things in your life that's happened that you wish you didn't have to adjust to? Well, what do you do when you have those unwanted seasons of change and, and you don't know what to do? What, what, what do you do? I mean, when you're looking at a future that looks very different than what you be, were familiar with in your past, when you're looking at a future minus a whole lot of mentors, when you're looking at a future minus family members, when you're looking at a future that looks totally different than what you ever envisioned, then what do you do? Well, the first thing I want to encourage you to do 
is to understand that God still has a plan. And God knew that you were going to be sitting here and God knew that you were going to be uh, asking these questions and God knew you were going to be going through these times. God has a plan and so since He has a plan, then if He's the man with the plan, then I need to seek Him about what that plan is. Okay, God, so you're, you're the man with the plan. I need to know, what is your plan? You know, I've tried to do things my way. I've even tried to do things your way. I've tried to help you out, thinking I was doing things your way, finding out in my, in my uh, you know, like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. You know, God, we're going to help you out. You're just a little bit late. She's 90. There's nothing going to happen. I'm going to have to, you know, okay, whatever, you know. But, and so, God, we're going to help you out. And so there's times when all of us have done that. Every single one of us have done that. We've said, Lord, I love you so much. This is what you called me to do. I'm done being patient. I know you called me. So here, I'm going to help you along. And then you get yourself in a mess. And you wonder, dear God, how in the world did this ever happen? And then you go to God and you say, God, I love you so much. I just loved you so much. I just wanted to. And whatever. God hasn't changed his mind about you. He's not, so we got to understand, we have to uh, understand that God has a plan and we seek God for that plan. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, even since I was a child, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Ecclesiastes 3 and 11. And here's what it says He has made everything beautiful in its time. God's plan for your life is beautiful, God's plan for your future is beautiful. God has a plan that's beautiful. And the Bible says that He's also put eternity in their hearts. So what do we do with that plan? We surrender to the plan of God. So we understand that God has a plan. We seek Him for it. Then we surrender to that plan. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 says, This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And it was in the wanting days of Paul's life. And he said this. Now, you got to understand, it was one of the last letters that he wrote. All right? Here's what he said. For this reason I also suffer these things, speaking of his imprisonment and his impending death. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and, and, and persuaded that he is able to keep that what I have committed to him until that day. So he was making a commitment that I'm going to keep on keeping on with God no matter what until the day that I draw my last breath on this earth and draw my first breath in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in adjusting to change, we understand that God has a plan and, we, and seeks for it. We understand that we surrender to God's plan. And then the last thing and probably one of the most crucial things I want to talk to you about today is this. In the midst of change, we need to lean on one another. We need to lean on each other. And we need to lean on each other through worship. We need to lean on each other through the Word. And we need to lean on each other for Christian fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up uh, love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Fellowship 
And the life of the believer must be vertical and horizontal. Fellowship in the life of the believer must be vertical and horizontal. What does that mean? That means that I need to have fellowship with heaven every day. I need to have fellowship with God. I need to pray in the name of Jesus. I need to pray in the Holy Ghost. I need to receive the ministry of angels. I need to command angels. I need to be involved in spiritual things every single day. But I also need to have fellowship with my brothers and my sisters every single day. It is crucial in times of change that we stay connected. It's crucial that we fellowship with one another around the Word, that we worship together and strengthen one another. See, we're surrounded on every side by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And nothing can help you overcome besides the Word. Nothing can help you overcome quicker than accountability to brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, accountability is not a bad word. Somebody says, well, I don't need God. I, 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 not God. I don't need to go to church. I don't need my brothers and sisters. I'll just be a Christian and I'm just accountable to God. Well, if you're really accountable to God, like you say you are, then you will be in a local church somewhere because that's what God's word teaches you to do. Hello, that's what God's Word teaches you to do. So in my notes here, we are, uh, we, are, uh, un, we are in unprecedented times. We're surrounded on every side by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Christians who forsake joining together with other believers in Christian fellowship, known as the body of Christ, isolate themselves from encouragement, exhortation, and accountability from their brothers and their sisters in Christ. And there's dangers in the solitude of worship. There's dangers in the solitude of worship. First of all, the first danger, I've got five dangers that I listed down here. The first one is the danger of satanic entrapment through false teaching. Some people say, well, you know, the way modern society is today, I can just stay at home and I can just flip through the channels and, and what I can do is I can get a little word here and a little word there 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 and a little word there. And the problem with that is you're sitting at home on Sunday morning or sometime during the week or whatever. You've disassociated yourself with the fellowship of your brothers and sisters. So you have absolutely no accountability whatsoever because you've listened to the lie that Satan has whispered in your ear saying the only place that you need to be accountable to is God. And the, de and the devil doesn't tell you if you're accountable to God, then you will be accountable in a local church because that's what God's Word teaches. Okay? And so you sit at home and what happens is someone starts teaching something and you don't necessarily like what they're teaching and you say, oh, and you flip the channel. And then you go to the next one and you flip the channel because something happened there. And then you flip the channel. Some people flip channels like they change churches, churches, churches. Anyways, so you flip the channel. 
You don't like that. So you, then you flip the, another channel and then you flip another channel. And so, what you, so what's going on is you're taking in all of this teaching from people that you have no relationship with at all. You don't know what their life is. You don't know how they live. You, you don't know whether, uh, whether they're just preaching something that they pulled off of the internet. You can do that nowadays, you know. I download my sermons to Sermon Central. Uh, uh, for I've been doing that since 2016. And the last time I checked my sermons, I've got about 150 sermon outlines on there now. And they've been downloaded over a million times from all over the world. That means there's people out there preaching my stuff. I need some royalties. Anyways. No, the gospel of Jesus is free. But, that, but the point that I'm trying to make is how can you be accountable to a leader if you're not in relationship with that leader and allow that leader to be in relationship with you? Do, you? do you see that? The Word of God says, Know them who labor among you. And when you get electronic church and that's all you get, hello, and that's all you get, then you're going to end up a colossal, chaotic, confused mess because, you, because somewhere in that process, you're going to take in strange doctrine and not even know it. Yep. You hearing me? You're going to take in strange doctrine and not even know it. So the danger of solitude in worship is that there is a satanic entrapment that is set for you to take in false teaching. See, the enemy will tell you just enough word to make it seem right. And then he'll twist it and twist it and twist it and twist it and twist it. Another danger of solitude and worship, number two, is losing your first love and regressing spiritually. There's something that happens in atmospheres like this when the worship is going and the presence of God is permeating the atmosphere and people's lives are being changed. How many of you earlier in the service were just compelled to lift your hands toward heaven and just go give God worship and give God praise? Weren't you? You were. You know why? Because God was moving right here, right now in this moment. This wasn't a canned moment. You hear me? Nothing wrong with canned gospel music. But this wasn't a canned moment. When you do not come to church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, then you are robbing yourself from right now flows of the anointing and right now words from the Spirit of God. So that's part of the danger of solitude in worship. Well, I just don't feel like I need that. Well, keep listening to the devil. Hello. You swallow that one, he'll feed you another one. You need your brothers and sisters. You need to worship in a corporate setting. Let me give you an example from the scripture. You know, a very uh, misunderstood fact about Worship in the Old Testament is that people thought that one day a week the children of Israel would go to the synagogue to worship. They didn't. 
The reason they went to the synagogue was to learn the law. They went to the synagogue to read the scripture and to listen to the doctors of the law expound upon the scripture. And so you had synagogues in different places where people would go on the Sabbath to read the scripture and to hear the scriptures taught. But when it came time for worship, the whole nation of Israel gathered at the temple. You get that? The whole nation gathered at the temple. So when people say, well, you know, I, I don't really need to gather at the temple. I don't really need to, to do that. Then you're robbing yourself of, of, of that anointing and that presence and that atmosphere and the glory of God. The Bible said at the dedication of Solomon's temple, the glory of God was so strong that the priest could not even stand to minister. The glory, the glory of God, the glory of God was so strong. The Bible said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And that word train means the glory of God filled the temple. How are you going to experience glory if you're never in the atmosphere where the glory is flowing? Well, I can just do that at my house. Then prophesy to yourself. <laughs> Preach to yourself. Teach yourself. I just don't know about this, Pastor. Well, that's why I'm here. To teach you what the Word says. So the danger of solitude in worship is satanic entrapment through false teaching because... You're being taught by God knows who. You could lose your first love and regress spiritually. The third danger is that you could slip into discouragement, depression, discouragement and depression, and the spirit of isolationism could get a hold of you. You know the spirit of isolationism has you when you walk into a worship service and you feel odd because you're there. Did you hear me? I just don't know. I just, I just didn't feel right. I just didn't feel right. That's because a spirit of religious familiarity, a familiar spirit has been whispering into your ear that you no longer need to gather in the congregation of the assembly. Don't let the devil do that to you. See, this is what the enemy tried to do with COVID. He tried to shut the church down. There's a spiritual side to this. He tried to shut the church down. Well, we didn't let him do it around here. We were criticized and ridiculed and people found fault and talked about us and, and things like that. And we just told everybody, we're going to respect everybody. Everybody's going to respect where everybody's at. You come here, we're going to respect where you are. 
we're not going to fight with you about this. We're not going to let the devil divide us. And, you know, and there for a period of time we had the little dot system, you know, the red and the yellow and the green. And wear a green dot if I can hug you. Wear a yellow dot if you want me to keep my distance. And wear a red dot if you just want to wave from six feet away. But that, that was okay. I didn't care. I didn't mind that at all. I just wanted you to be in the house of the Lord. Just wanted you to be in this atmosphere where the presence of God. And I stood in this pulpit many different times and told you, I will not allow you to abuse each other. Amen? But the enemy tried to shut the church down. He tried to push everybody over in a corner where they could develop their own ideas about things instead of being in a place where the ascension gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher could flow in the congregation and open assembly bringing revelation from heaven to your home. So the devil thought he could shut that down. But for 2,000 years he's tried to stop the church and he's not been able to do it and he's not doing it now. He's not doing it now. Number four, danger of solitude in worship, satanic entrapment through false teaching, losing your first love and regressing spiritually, discouragement, depression, isolationism. Number four, when you stay home, you have the danger of becoming lukewarm and succumbing to carnality and or legalism. And there's legalism and that that carnality and or legalism is there. It's there presenting itself to you every single day. See, what will happen is you'll tell yourself, well, I'll just go online and I'll watch church. But then you miss one, one weekend and then you miss the next weekend and... And before you know it, you're not reading your Bible like you were before and you're not spending time with Jesus in prayer and with the Lord. You're not doing that. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you, you don't really care if you go to church or if you don't. And you don't really care if you're listening to worship music or if you're not. And, and you know, well, it's okay and things like that. And then... You become weak spiritually and then the invitation, the temptation to fail comes along. And because you're not strong enough spiritually, carnally you fail. Then the enemy moves in and he accuses you and he tries to drive the nail in the coffin of your life with God and he accuses you and accuses you and beats up on you and condemns you and all of these kinds of things and tells you how nasty and how horrible you are and how you shouldn't be calling yourself a Christian and how you don't deserve the blessing of God and how you're sick because you just you know, because you failed God and all this kind of stuff. And the enemy will come in with all of that kind of stuff. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm blowing the devil's cover today. The Bible said that we are not ignorant of his devices. We can submit ourselves to God. We can resist the devil and he will flee from you. The last one on the danger of solitude and worship is that there's always the danger of failing to fulfill the calling that God has placed on your life. 
How are you going to fulfill the calling of God on your life if you don't allow yourself to be taught and trained and led and mentored? I learned a long time ago there's two ways to learn. Mentors and mistakes. You need spirit-led and spirit-filled mentors in your life who give you, who, who you give permission to correct you. There are times when Pastor Callahan would call me and talk to me about things in his nice, sweet way, but he would correct me. And there were times when he told me stuff that I didn't agree with. But because he was my mentor and because he was my pastor and because it wasn't immoral, unethical, or illegal, those are the three things, because it wasn't them, I obeyed him. Why? Because he was my leader. Dr. Cushman is the only one that's left alive. The only thing I don't do that Dr. Cushman keeps telling me I should do is wear a tie in the pulpit. I told him, I said, Doc, I love you, man, but it just ain't happening. And you know what he tells me? He says, I think that God's generals ought to look better than tonight's newscasters. That's what he says. So, but he could call me right now and give me instruction on something that I might not like. And I would say, yes, sir. If it wasn't immoral, illegal, or unethical, I would say, yes, sir. Because he's my mentor. You need that. Every single person needs that in their life. And you don't know if you can be mentored until you've been corrected. Are you hearing me? You don't know if you can be spiritually fathered, mentored, until you've been corrected. Because if you can't take correction, then you can't be led. Look at your neighbor and say, my pastor loves me. Let's stand. Come on, let's stand. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorse.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.